had a visit uh, actually just yesterday with a church family here. They have a health care worker stopping by at the house, I think, several times a week. And the health care worker was just commenting, looking around at, at world conditions and the pandemic that we've had, and she realized that these people were religious. And the lady said something about, uh, you know, are we approaching the end of the age? Are we approaching the end of the age? And she said, you know, the Bible talks about a mark of the beast. Is that these vaccines or is that the COVID thing or whatever? And as they talked, uh, they mentioned to her, well, we do have a booklet (laughs) entitled The Mark of the Beast. And apparently she took it, and we'll find out if she comes back. (laughs) But I thought it was interesting that, you know, we talk about Christ returning, and we talk about the end of the age, and we've been talking about that for years. And yet, here was a woman that walks into a church family's home, and she's concerned about the same thing. The return of Jesus Christ, the end of the age. I was looking on the internet the other day, and if you think back, people were wondering if the end of the age was going to come when the calendar turned over 2000 A.D., and computers were going to do all these things. A lot of things didn't happen, but they were wondering at that time. You look back in history, about 1,000 A.D., they were wondering if something going to take place there when the calendar turned over in 1,000 A.D. I saw something yesterday I had not seen before, but somebody is predicting that the end of the age is beginning this year, 2021, seven years from now, on September 28th, this is going to be around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, that's when Jesus Christ is going to return. I'm thinking back to into the 80s, I think we had a minister up in the Northwest. Someplace had people out on the beach waiting for Christ to return. It didn't happen. But you know, the disciples asked Jesus Christ, What's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The disciples were asking, but they had a motive in mind. They knew that Jesus Christ told them that they were going to reign with him. You read Matthew 19, verses 28, 29, I think. When he told them that uh, when he comes back, they're going to reign with him. in the kingdom. So they were wanting to know when, <laughs> when is this going to happen? You read in Acts chapter 1, just before he ascended to heaven, he said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for something. And their response was, will you restore the kingdom now, then, when we're there? He said, no, it's not time yet. But they, they knew something was coming, and they were looking forward to being part of that. We're looking forward to... We're looking forward to. Turn to Matthew 24 very quickly. Because this is the record of the discussion. Matthew 24, verse 3. So tell us when will these things be? You were talking about the destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then he went into listing a whole series of things. But if you drop down to verse 42, he said, Watch, therefore, 
for you don't know what hour the Lord is coming. Watch, watch. But he also said, therefore also be ready. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you don't expect. Matthew 25, this is repeated similarly over there. Matthew 25, verse 10. Actually, let's stop down here to verse 13 first. It said, Watch, therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. So again, the same warning, watch. But notice up in verse 10, the five virgins that were wise, it said, while they went to buy, uh, well, they went to buy, the, the, the foolish virgins went out to buy oil. The wise virgins had already had it. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. So they were all supposed to watch. Apparently five of them weren't watching that well. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready. But the ones that were ready went into the kingdom. In Mark chapter 13, you don't need to turn there, but verses 33 through 35, Jesus says three times in those three verses, watch, watch, watch. Watch. Matthew 21, Luke 21, verse 36 says, Watch and pray. And you're to pray that you're accounted worthy. Pray that you're accounted worthy to be in the kingdom of God and be ready. You know, over the years, we have talked a lot about watching. And I think prior to preparing this sermon, oh, watch, well, be ready. Yeah, I'm watching and I'm ready to to do something whenever Christ returns. But is there something more we have to do besides just be watching? Is there something more we need to be doing besides just watching? We need to watch. But this statement is made several different times. You know, in the New Testament, watching is mentioned about six or seven times. But this, this concept of being ready is also there. Being ready is also there. In the sermon today, I want to focus on being ready. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Mr. Strain gave a sermon on a crisis that's coming. He was talking about the end of the age. But I want to talk about being ready today. What do we have to do to be ready? What do we have to do to be ready? Uh, What can we be doing now to be ready? How do you get ready? I've entitled the sermon, Are You Ready? With a subtitle, Seven Ways to Get Ready. Are you ready? I want to talk about seven ways to get ready. Because these are things we can be doing at this point in time. Point number one, are you ready for the end of the age? With the emphasis on ready. Are you ready for the end of the age and the return of Jesus Christ? You know, we have a booklet <clears throat> entitled 14 Signs of Christ's Return. When was the last time you read it? Well, I know what's in it. <laughs> but when did you actually sit down and read it again? These are things to be watching for. These are things to be watching for. There are specific things to watch for. They're mentioned in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. 
We don't talk a lot about blood moons. We don't talk about a lot about um, um, <clears throat> the year 2000. We're way beyond that. But people were watching the year 2000. Nothing happened at that point in time. We don't talk about uh, somebody walking around with a sign, 666, <laughs> or walking around with a big sign that says the end of the world is coming. That doesn't mean it's going to come. But... Uh, <clears throat> The booklet talks about 14 specific signs. In 2 Timothy, let's turn over there. I want to talk just a little bit about the end of the age before we get into the rest of the sermon. 2 Timothy chapter 3, because the Bible touches on this subject of the return a number of different places, not just in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's describing what it will be like as we approach the end of the age. Describing what it's going to be like. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, But know this in the last days, as we approach the end of the age, this is what we're going to be seeing. Perilous times will come. Difficult times will come. Difficult times are coming. You know, we're trying to plan the feast again this year, and we don't know what's going to be locked down. We don't know what the the requirements are going to be in some of these areas. We had a note from, I think it was the Philippines, that said uh, we we don't want anybody on property unless they're vaccinated, unless they do this, unless they do that. This really complicates things. Um, I saw a spoof the other day. But it may not be that far from the truth that this guy was interviewing people when he's trying to get them to sign up for something on a sidewalk. He said, we'd like you to sign this petition that uh, these people that are not getting vaccinated, we're going to put them in jail. You want to sign this? <laughs> oh, yeah, most of them. Others said, are you kidding me? But the idea was we've got to push these people to do something. If they don't do what we want them to do, then we're going to put them in jail. Now, he was kind of joking with that. But... Where that may go, we'll have to see. Where that may go, we'll have to see. It's a difficult times are coming. And then it talks about these times. People will be lovers of themselves. You know, we have this thing today, we take selfies. <laughs> we take selfies with ourselves. It's all self. Me, myself, and I. I don't like this. So we've got to do something else. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, very materialistic. If it doesn't pay, I'm not going to do it. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, where they're mocking God, they're mocking the Bible. You, know, you think back historically when America was founded, I think 97% or more of the people in the New England area were, were Protestant Christians. They went to church. You didn't go to church, there was something wrong with you. <laughs> Now fewer and fewer and fewer people go to church. Uh, things are changing in our country. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unloving, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, heady, heart, uh, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Everybody wants to party today. 
have, a, have fun all the time. It sounds like the times that we're living. These are just some of the descriptions. Let's go to Luke chapter 17 quickly. A couple of verses there I just wanted to focus on. Luke 17. <clears throat> Talking about the return of Jesus Christ, in verse 26, it says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be also in the days of the Son of Man. Just as it was in the days of Noah, is going to be the same way when Jesus Christ returns. Now, this is also mentioned in Matthew 24. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 6, maybe put that in your notes. What was it like? What was it like just before the flood? You go back there and you read, the earth was filled with violence and corruption, and every thought was evil. Every thought was evil. This is why God destroyed the pre-flood world. It would jump to tracks. And you look at what's happened today. (laughs) Almost every thought is evil. You go on the internet, you want to do something, all these things pop up that's evil. You want to listen to a movie or something, and the, the, the language is evil. The plots are evil. And somebody said, I'm extrapolating, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating or whatever. <laughs> no, we're not exaggerating. This is the way it is. I can remember watching television in the 50s. Father knows best, <laughs> things like that. There were no bad words. The plots weren't that evil, but now today it's you don't even want to watch. We're living in a totally different world. But it mentions here, you go back in, in, in Genesis uh, 6, every thought was evil. Earth was filled with violence and filled with corruption. Maybe just another thought. You read a little bit in Genesis 5 and 6. How long was Moses' ministry? Not Moses, but <laughs> how long was Noah's ministry? It was about 500 years old, I think it was, before the flood started, and about 600 when it was over. The implications, his ministry was about 100 years. And there's a comment there that says man's time will be 120 years. That could be his ministry and also could be that man's lifespan would come down to about 120 years. And the longest-lived people today are are not much more than 100 years of age. But the point is, Moses had a... Moses. I can do a lot of corrections on this sermon. (laughs) But Noah had a ministry of about 100 years. He was building this big boat in his backyard. If you go up to Cincinnati, look at the model of the ark up there. It's a scale model. It's big. It's big, it's longer than a football field, about four stories high. And he was building this, took about a hundred years. You might think, a hundred years to build a boat? How long did it take to build some of the cathedrals in the Middle Ages? (laughs) Hundred years, couple hundred years. But this was an incredible witness at that time. This was an incredible witness at that time. But it lasted about a hundred years, and then the flood came and washed them all away. How long was Mr. Armstrong's ministry? He was ordained in 1930. 
We are now 2030 almost. If there's a parallel, and again, I'm not setting dates. All I'm saying is we've been in a work that's been operating. I think he went on radio about uh, 1933. So we're coming up on a century of a warning. We'll have to watch and see what happens. But we could be getting close, closer, be correct that way. <laughs> We're getting closer to the end of the age. We might be closer than we think. Notice here in verse 28. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, drank, they bought and sold, and they planted and they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone and destroyed them all. You've got to go back to Genesis 18 and 19 and read a little bit about Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels came. They said that Sodom, the the ways of the men in Sodom is grievous, terrible, terrible. In Genesis 19, the angels come in to visit Lot. And he brings them into his house, and then you get this big crowd out around his house. Bring them out! Bring them out! Bring them out! We want to get to know them! Read the translations there. They wanted sexual perversions to take place. And everybody there was looking forward to that. The whole city. Where are we today? We're promoting the same times of same time, kind of homosexual perversions. And we're at the point today where if your government or your city or whatever doesn't go along with that, then we're going to bring pressure on you. We're going to bring pressure on you to begin allowing these things. You know, President Obama went to Kenya. And some people think he was born there, but his family is still there. When we visit the compound out in western Kenya, uh, we drive right by an Obama homestead out there. It's not a real impressive place, but his his roots are there. In fact, when you ask people there, is he from here? And they say, no, he's from up north. (laughs) But he went there, and he was basically telling them, we will probably cut off your uh, foreign aid if you don't open up your society to homosexuality. And the government there said, we're not going to do that. We're not, we don't do that here. They were telling that to the President of the United States. But this is the kind of pressure, and that pressure is coming from Western nations to do these things. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire and brimstone. What lies ahead for America and Western nations that are promoting these things. And when's that going to happen? When is that going to happen? Are we getting close to the end of the age? It certainly looks like that. We're not setting dates, but we need to watch what's happening. And we need to be prepared. I came across a couple of articles dealing with the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were written by theologians. And they, they, they don't mention homosexuality. They go to uh, Ezekiel 16, verses, I think it's 49 and 50, 
where it talks about pride, it talks about not taking care of the poor, it talks about living luxuriously, and then it says, and other abominations. You got to go to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. And it talks about things that are abominations to God, which include homosexuality. Remember, we had a TWP down in, I think it was in Florida, a number of years ago. This young lady attended with her mom. And I said something about homosexuality. And she came up afterwards and said, why are you guys so down on homosexuality, homosexuals? Because they're, they're people too. I said, we're not against the people. It's what they're doing. Well, what's so bad about that? It's an alternative lifestyle today. It's an alternative lifestyle today. So we shouldn't put it down. This is what we've come to today. This is what we've come to today. A couple of other scriptures to look at quickly, maybe just in your notes. Jeremiah 23, verses 13 and 14. Talk about Israel and Judah are described as Sodom and Gomorrah. Ancient Israel and Judah. Things were going on there that the Bible said were like Sodom and Gomorrah. We go to Deuteronomy 31, verse 29. Now, these are prophecies that are dual. It's describing our nations, nations of Israel, in the latter days. Deuteronomy 31, verse 29. Moses was writing. This is probably around 1400 B.C., He says, for I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt. What is utterly corrupt? Is that our nations today? You will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. The commandments say we're not to commit adultery, we're not to commit fornication, we're not to do these things. You will turn aside from the way which I commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke him to anger. The people in Sodom and Gomorrah provoked God to anger, and they were wiped out. They're going to come up in a resurrection down the road. But God did step in at a point in time and literally change the course of history. You provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. In... uh, Just jot in your notes, maybe. Deuteronomy 28, verse 20. Deuteronomy 28, verse 20. It says, your downfall is going to come suddenly. The downfall of my people that have forgotten me, turned away from me, doing other things, their downfall is going to come suddenly. Now, does that mean in a couple of hours? Does that mean in a couple of days, a couple of weeks? You know, it took the Roman Empire by three or four or five hundred years to fall. But it started down the road and went slowly. It probably took less than a couple of hours to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Less than a couple of hours. With Noah, it took a number of days for rain (laughs) uh, to bury everything. How long is it going to take for us 
You know, with Internet hackers and things like that, it could be a matter of hours or minutes to disrupt everything. We'll have to watch. But these are scriptures that are there that we need to keep in mind. Go to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 23. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 23. It's talking about the latter days here. And Gentile kingdoms. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 23. In the latter time of their kingdom, when transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features, who understands schemes and so on. We're just focusing here on this particular verse. In the latter time when transgressors have reached their fullness. You look this up in some other commentaries. One of the commentaries had a very interesting phrase for that. It says, when wickedness exceeds the limits of God's mercy. In the latter times, when wickedness exceeds the Limits of God's mercy. Sodom and Gomorrah apparently exceeded the limits of God's mercy. And yet, as Israelite nations today that have been blessed incredibly with what we're doing and the examples that we're setting, how long is God going to wait before he pulls the plug? And it could happen very suddenly. It could happen very suddenly. Back to Isaiah 24, again, talking about the end of the age. Isaiah 24. Let's go down here in verse 4. It says the earth, and it's talking about a time in the future. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth is defiled. And it appears to be talking about moral uh, defiling, but it can also, other verses say it's polluted. And we're facing pollution today of physical ways, but we're also dealing with moral pollution today. The earth is defiled. No, no, it's not talking just about Israel. It says the earth is defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws and changed the ordinance, and broken the everlasting covenant. God made a covenant with Israel, but what was that covenant? If you obey, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey, there will be consequences. We tell our kids the same thing. (laughs) If you obey, things will go much better. If you don't, then there will be consequences. When human beings turn away from the laws of God, there will be consequences. Latter part of verse 6, therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few are left. You know, the whole society, when it goes that direction, God destroyed human societies with a flood. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. They weren't his people of Israel. The world is heading down the road for a catastrophe. Now what I want to ask here is... um, Is this just church talk, that the world is coming to an end, the age is coming to an end? Is this just church talk? Or other people saying the same thing? There's a book that we've 
used a number of times and referred to, entitled When Nations Die. This was published in 1994, almost 30 years ago. These are not Christian publications necessarily. This is the world. These are people looking at society today and have been looking at it for the last 30, 40 years. When nations die, America on the brink, 10 warning signs of a culture in crisis. And those 10 warning signs include debt that goes crazy. It includes families coming apart. It includes morals going down the drain. And this guy was saying this based on a survey of civilizations. He said civilizations that have gone down the tubes, taken the same path, are gone. They're gone. That was 30-some years ago. A judge, Robert Bork, wrote a book entitled Slouching Towards Gomorrah. Slouching Towards Gomorrah. He wrote that in 2003, and he's talking about exactly the same things. Debt that's running out at the top, uh, marriages that are coming apart, kids that are turning against their parents, values going down the tubes. He's a Jew. He was a judge. He was denied being on the Supreme Court because he wrote books like that. He was also talking about women's lib and things like that. That's not popular with people, at least the ones that had to approve him to be on the Supreme Court. He wrote another book a little bit later, about 10 years later, along the same thing. But he was saying that. Patrick Buchanan wrote a book in 2011, so we're moving up. Ten years ago, it was entitled The Death of the West. The Death of the West. He said, we're going down the tubes. And he was talking ten years ago about critical theory and where it came from. The stuff isn't new. It's been around for some time. He wrote another book in 2012 entitled The Death of a Superpower, Will America Survive Until 2025? That's four years from now. He was an advisor to a number of different presidents. These are not church people. They're people looking at the world. They see what's happening. came across another article as I was putting some of these things together from a magazine. It's entitled Lessons from Rome, Moral Decay and Corruption. This is 2018, just a couple of years ago. The one section I just wanted to focus on here, because it talks about a growing gap between rich and poor. It talks about moral corruption and so on. But there's a section here towards the end where it talks about the corruption of borders. Corruption of borders of the Roman Empire had grown so large, they found it very difficult to defend the borders. Uh, They called the people that were invading barbarians. We call them refugees today (laughs) because they're escaping from somewhere. And I'm not putting them down. If you lived in some of these places they're coming from, it's not not surprising that they want to do this. But... It mentions here, <clears throat> the Romans could not stop these invaders from coming in, the barbarians. They just were pouring over the borders because they were being pushed from, from the east. They couldn't stop them, so they came up with a plan. Um, 
They would split them up and give them pieces of land within the Roman Empire. Give them pieces of land within the Roman Empire. Uh, they had benefits for the Romans because it provided cheaper labor. It provided recruits for the army. And the same thing's happening today. But today, it also provides votes. It also provides votes. So they, there was a benefit for letting these people in. So they put them in different places, in different parts of the Roman Empire. Uh, but over time, there are more and more of these recruits in the army. They begin to be more loyal to the commanders in their local area. The vandals were over here. The other people were over there. And when you look at time, that's where the nations of Europe have come from, these people moving into the Roman Empire and kind of taking over their particular little area. Uh, <clears throat> they were not really assimilated. It says the Western Empire eventually dissolved into the new kingdoms among, along tribal lines. And how these tribes reacted to this policy of appeasement. This policy now, looking back on it, be considered, can be considered an utter failure. We're letting people come in and we're busing them over here or flying them over there. And the Chinese are buying over here and other people are buying over there. But this is all within the country. It mentions here in the summary paragraph, it said, this particular story of soft or porous borders teaches us that the weakness at the borders disguised as benevolence toward those who attack you is a deadly cocktail for every society. It's a deadly cocktail for every society that has done this. It's happening in Europe. It's happening in England. It's happening here. It's happening in Canada. I think the first time I went to the West up in Canada. Now, we used to go to Canada years ago. Everybody was basically European. But the last time I was up in, in Western Canada, I saw a lot of turbans. <laughs> they were not European Canadians. They were people that had moved in there. And everything changes when that happens. And again, I'm not against anybody else. But when you bring all kinds of other people in that do not assimilate, there are neighborhoods in Paris where the police don't go in. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. Because they're, they're uh, Muslims and jihadis. So it's just it's a no-go zone. This is what's happening within our countries today. I want to mention one other thing, that um, we're worried today about people coming in from the south, bringing COVID in. But there's another plague. It's drugs. It's drugs that's coming in. And they're bringing in what is called fentanyl. It's a hundred times more powerful than morphine. Morphine, um, heroin, these are all related. They're opiates. An interesting lesson in history. When the British were growing opium in India, they brought it to China and selling it. And the opium was getting people addicted, and it was tearing their society apart. Chinese didn't like it. But the British were also bringing a few uh, missionaries along with it. 
And the Chinese were kind of like, you're bringing the opium, it's tearing us up, and then you're bringing missionaries. What's the story? Fast forward to today. The fentanyl that is coming across our border in Mexico, the precursors are made in China. They're sent to Mexico. Then they make the fentanyl together there in Mexico. Then it comes across the border. Last year it killed 80,000 people from drug overdoses in this country. You look back 100 years, 1840s, 1850s, 1860s, the British and the French were bringing opium to China. And now the Chinese are sending opium, opioids over here. And it's coming in and having an impact on our country. What goes around comes around. The Bible talks a lot about you're going to reap what you've sown. God is just, and he will allow things to happen to us. So, brethren, we need to be watching. We need to be watching what's happening. There's an old saying, if we don't learn from history, we're going to repeat the mistakes of history. So my question to you, especially younger people, are we living, are we approaching the end of the age? Are you ready for the end of the age? You know, things are going to probably get very difficult here uh, in our countries. And we've talked about this before over the years, but do you have some food stored? Do you have some water stored? Do you have some things in case something happens that you can manage for you know, several weeks, maybe a month or more? Do you have some reserves put away, uh, some food, some water, um, if you're on medications? I was talking to somebody recently where he, has, he needed a certain medication, but it, the pharmacy wasn't able to get a hold of it. So he had a very rough period of time because he just couldn't get certain things. We might want to have some things to be ready. So are we ready for the edge, end of the age? Many people, not just the church, have been warning some of these books 30 years old, but they're all saying the same thing. We need to be watching. We need to be ready. So that was point number one. Are you ready for the end of the age and the return of Jesus Christ? Don't put it off. <laughs> well, I'll get ready, you know, when, when we get closer. If our downfall is going to come suddenly, how long can we put things off? Well, I want to make this trip, and, you know, I'm, I'm interested in a guy or I'm interested in a girl. And, you know, when my wife and I got married, we wondered if it would be any time to have children. <laughs> we got two kids and five grandkids. Will some of you have that same opportunity? Will something happen sooner? And there's going to be three and a half years in a place of safety somewhere, so uh, there's still time to do things. But we need to, we need to keep these things in mind. Point number two, are you ready to defend your beliefs? Are you ready to defend your beliefs? Notice in Second Peter, Second Peter, because we're going to be facing persecution. Uh, that's kind of hard to predict exactly when and how that's going to happen for you individually. We expect it will happen for the church. We're not going to be able to say things. Uh, in fact, we have one situation out of the U.S. where somebody said something in a, a sermon and Somebody recorded it and gave it to some government people. 
uh, and there's been questions asked. They may be out of their ballpark, but at least the issue was brought up. In Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? You people think that Christ is going to return? That's a pipe dream. That's a pipe dream. Now, we, can, we may be able to deal with that. You should be able to deal with it. Somebody laughs at what you believe. Is that going to blow you out of the saddle? Will that knock you off course? Or do you know what you believe and why you believe it? And nothing's going to change that. Scoffers will come in the last days, and we've got them today. Richard Dawkins, this guy in England that has all kind of atrocious things to say about God in the Bible. He's making big bucks from the books that he's selling. He's quoted. Another gentleman up in the University of North Carolina, Bart Ehrman, he's published, I don't know, five, ten books or whatever. He knocks the Bible. He knocks a lot of things. Um, Bill Mayer, I've never watched the guy, but he's on television. He's a comedian. But he's getting laughs from, from knocking religion, from knocking the Bible. He says, for humans to survive, the Bible's got to die. And stuff like that. The mockers and the scoffers are here. You know, but, you know, Jesus Christ faced persecution from the Pharisees. The apostles faced persecution. They killed Stephen. The apostle Paul had to defend himself. Read about that Acts in Acts, Acts 26, 27, 28. And he did it without offending anybody. But the, the, the governor that was listening to him said, Paul, you know, you're crazy, but you're almost convincing me. <laughs> you're almost convincing me. And then he got out of the conversation. Now, can we give a witness like that? Just explain very factually, logically. This is what I believe. This is why. We need to be able to do that. How do you do that? Second Peter 3.15, it says, Be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you when you're asked. That doesn't mean going out in the parking lot and saying, I'm going to tell you what I believe. No, when they ask you to have a very logical answer to come back at them. For Thessalonians 5.21 and 20 and 21, talks about proving all things. Nail down what it is that you believe. And parents, help your children prove what it is that we teach. Prove what it is that we teach so that it becomes theirs. They own it. They own it. Show them how to prove that God does exist. You know, God mocks these people that don't. In Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, Only a fool doesn't believe in God. Only a fool doesn't believe in God. And you can show your kids why it's foolish not to believe in God. We were just talking about things in the announcements. That the kids up at the West Virginia camp, they were praying that God would watch over the weather up there. And they'd be singing songs out of a book and getting a couple sprinkles and you look a hundred yards away and there's a downpour. You know, we saw that on Cape Cod for a whole week. Rotten summer, drive under the Cape, the clouds part. <laughs> we drive off the Cape, 
Eight days later, the clouds are coming in. We could see them coming in. And then this guy asked me, do you guys know somebody? (laughs) That was music to my ears. (laughs) We said, maybe. (laughs) And he just kind of scratches his head. But he saw what happened. He saw what happened. You know, share these experiences. You prove to yourself and prove to your kids, help them find, you know, to demonstrate that, that God's word is true. John 17, 17, Jesus said, thy word is true. The Bible, the book that people are mocking today, do you know that for sure? We use the Bible to guide your life in spite of what people say, in spite of what people say. Talks about prophecy. Let's turn back there quickly to Isaiah 46. And Isaiah is addressing critics in his day. Isaiah 46, beginning verse 8. This is is addressing critics. So remember this and show yourselves men. In other words, stand up and face the facts. Recall to mind, remember, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God, there is none other. I am God, there is none like me. I am able to declare the future, the end, the outcome from the beginning. That's what Bible prophecy is, history in advance. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Christ has not returned, but the prophecies say he is going to return. He will return. He said other things we've watched come to pass. Saying, my counsel shall stand. The word in the Hebrew means my plan, my purpose will stand. It will happen the way I said it. And this is the information that we're given. We need to be able to bank on that. We need to be able to bank on that. In Second Peter 1... <clears throat> Let's go there, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. Verse 16, he said, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses. Now, there are people today that say, Well, we don't know that the Bible's really true, and we don't know whether Christ existed or not. No, you can... Find historical references to the fact that Jesus Christ did live. But Peter says we were eyewitnesses. We were there. We saw him. We saw the miracles. Now, can you trust what Peter is saying? Or maybe Peter didn't write this. (laughs) Maybe somebody else wrote it and just used Peter's name. These are some of the arguments today. But we need to know. We need to know. Down in verse 19, it says, we, he's talking to the church, he's talking about the apostles, we have the prophetic word confirmed. This is the new King James. The old King James says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Who has had a more sure word of prophecy over the last, what, 40, 50, 60 years? We weren't correct on everything, but our big picture is right on the money. Our big picture is right on the money. And the critics, well, you got this wrong, you got that wrong. But the big picture is still there. Europe is coming on strong. And it's Germany that's leading it. You need to have confidence in these things, but you need to prove it to yourself. 
And he says, as we get closer to the end, you really need to listen. As we get closer to the end, you really need to listen. So can you give an answer for the hope that lies within you? Calmly, clearly, logically. Maybe you have to write it down, work it out. When I first came into the church, I wrote down prophecies that had come fulfilled. I wrote down various things. I remember talking with the minister that was baptized, that he baptized me. And he said, why do you think this is a church? I said, well, your prophecy is really makes a lot of sense. And I said, why do you believe this is a church? And he said, well, prophecy is important, but he said, it's a way of life that works. It's a way of life that works. The theme that they had up at the West Virginia camp was God's way works. And you should be able to look around in people's lives, look in your life. Notice what happens to people that go a different route than you have decided to take. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. You pray for them. But watch what happens. That was question two. Be ready to defend your beliefs. Number three, are you ready for the work ahead? See, Jesus said, watch and be ready. Be ready. Watch and be ready. Are you ready for the work ahead? John 14, verse 3, Jesus told his disciples the night before he was crucified, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will return. I go to prepare a place for you and I'm coming again. That's where our hope is. That's what we're looking forward to. Isaiah 40 verse 10 says, The Lord shall come with a strong hand and his reward is with him and his work is before him. The reward is going to be a crown to reign with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. That's the reward. The work is going to be something else. Go to John 4.42. Why is Christ coming back? John 4 and verse 42. It says there that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is the one that's coming back. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Not just you. You know, if you read in John 3.16, if you believe in him, you're saved. And what Protestants have done today is taken that verse and made it just about one person. It's about you. But even in John 3.16, he says that God so loved the world. The world. It's cosmos. It means the entire creation. And it also means the whole world that's opposed to him. Christ is coming back to save mankind, to save the world, not just one person. And that's what modern so-called Christianity focuses on, just you. It does include you, it includes me, but it includes the people who don't want them to come back. This is the work. This is what we're going to be doing. Go to uh, uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. 
Now, if you're watching numbers, we're going to, have, we're going to spend less time on the last couple of points, so <laughs> don't get discouraged. Titus chapter 1, or 3, chapter 3 and verse 1. I'll get there eventually. So remind them, Paul is talking to Titus here, talking about what to talk about in services with with the brethren. Remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities. Don't be uh, out burning cities down and whatever. Be law-abiding people. Obey and be ready for every good work. Be ready for every good work. And it talks about good works sent down through there, being peaceable, being gentle, and so on. But we've been called to be part of a work that when Christ returns, he's going to use a group of people to literally change the world. And there's nothing wrong with getting upset about what's happening in this world because you may be given the opportunity to help change it. You may be given that opportunity. I remember I was at a press conference in Washington, D.C. a number of years ago. This was when the hippies were active back in the 70s probably. And this one young guy, he's probably about the same age I was at that time. He was saying, yeah, we're going to change the, we're going to bring Washington down to its knees. He's making a lot of noise. I went up to him afterwards. I said, can I ask you a question? He said, what? I said, what are you going to do when you bring Washington to its knees? Then what? He said, get out of here. He didn't have a plan beyond that. Their plan was destroy, bring the government down. But what were they going to do after that? Give everybody LSD? <laughs> Have a good time? They had no plan that they were spelling out beyond that. We're going to have to straighten things out. We're going to have to straighten things out. This is the work that is coming. In Matthew 17:11, it talks about restoring true values. Our job is going to be to help people recapture true values. What do you mean by true values? Well, certain behaviors are not going to be promoted. Certain behaviors are going to be prohibited. And explain why. Certain kinds of governments are going to be changed. Education is going to be changed. Religions are going to be changed. We're going to have to be able to explain to Muslims and explain to others about what they believe and what the Bible actually says and try and help them understand? Are you preparing for? Are you ready? In fact, that word ready means to prepare. Are you prepared for what's coming? Do you want to be part of that? Now, if you bought into the idea, well, I'm going to be up in heaven during the rapture, and I'm just going to watch everything happen, and we'll float down to earth, and everything will be wonderful. No, there's going to be people who live through the tribulation. They're going to be shocked, shell-shocked from what has happened. Somebody have to put their arms around them and say, look, settle down. It's going to be all right. And to point them, say, this is the direction we need to go. So this is going to be our work. How do you get prepared for that work? Point number four. We're going to have to teach people a different way to live. Point number four. Are you ready to teach the world God's way? Are you ready to teach the world God's way? 
In Isaiah 30, in verses 20 and 21, it says, At that time, people will see their teachers. You see me up here. Whoever else might be up here, you'll, you'll see them. And you can talk with us afterwards. And we'll be able to, they'll be able to talk with their teachers at that time. Their teachers are going to say, this is the way. This is the way. I still remember talking with a young lady. Her parents came into the church. She started attending. She wound up getting pregnant. And then she called me to be with her when I talked with her parents, or whenever she talked with her parents. And she kind of explained what happened, and they started to cry, and she started to cry, and I started to cry. <laughs> and then they looked at me and said, what do we do now? I said, look, if you get your life focused in the right direction, things will work out. I said, I don't know how it's going to work out, but if you do it right, things will work out. They just will. Romans 8.28 says, all things work to the good for those that are called and, and are doing things God's way. It will work. It will work. And part of our job as teachers in the coming kingdom of God is to show people this is the way to go. Maybe go back and read Psalm 1. Read through the whole thing. It said, blessed is the person who does it this way. It means, blessed means to be envied. It means fortunate, happy. If you do it this way, it's going to work out. But Psalm 1 also says you do it that way, and it's not going to work. This is going to be our approach at that time. Isaiah 2, verses 2 to 4, says the law will go forth from Jerusalem, and we're going to be teaching other nations. So we're going to be teaching from the law of God. This is why it's important for us to study and learn how to apply the laws of God today. Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 to 20. Kings were told, make a personal copy of the law. Write it down. You know, and the more senses that you use, if you read it, you write it down. Uh, these are going to be embedded in our minds. It's got to be that way. Make a personal copy of the law, study it daily, and live by it. When Ezra was sent back to Jerusalem from Babylon, Ezra 7, verses 6 to 10, he says, He prepared his heart. He made his heart ready for that job. He knew his job was going to be pointing people back to the book, pointing people in a different, in a right direction. And then later it mentions that... Uh, <clears throat> He prepared his heart to seek the law, to do the law, and to teach the law. What we're doing now is preparing to do that. If we study it, prepare it, learn how to apply it. Uh, This is what our job is going to be like in the coming kingdom of God, to reorient religion, reorient education, reorient families. Yes, a husband should be the head of the family, and the wife should be responsive to that. But he should not be beating her over the head. <laughs> You're the wife, get in line here. No, read the latter part of, uh, I think it's in what is it, 1 Peter 3, where it talks about the wife does this, the husband does this, but then it tells the husband, love your wife. Be gentle with her. Be sensitive to her feelings. Yeah? What do you mean? I'm in charge. I've been around for 50 years, 55 years. <laughs> and what I've seen over the years, these are the mistakes that have been made. The husband, they learn, I'm in charge. 
Well, yes, you're in charge, but to guide in a right way, a, a, a wise way, an understanding way. You know, these books, uh, Men Are From Mars and, and uh, Women Are From Venus, they have different perspectives, different thoughts. Why didn't God just make us the same? Because he wants us to come to understand <laughs> the other person. And it takes time. It takes time. But at least we have the guidelines. At least we have the guidelines. Method is also important. Now, content for teaching is important. Method is also important. You read through the books of Moses and you get, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. And we read through the blessings and the cursings, but I think over the years we focused on the curses. <laughs> and you read through Proverbs, you spare the rod and you spoil the child. I know my corrections and my boys was probably too much on the rod. Because <laughs> I didn't want to spoil them. I remember listening to my dad. He said, well, we had quite a teacher in whatever it was in grade school. Uh, Vaughn Vickerman. He had a ruler. You misbehaved. You whack your hand. See, they were reading the same book we're reading. Spare the rod, spoil the child. You know, the Puritans, they had a guy walking around services. Maybe we should appoint somebody to do this. <laughs> With a long pole. There was a feather on one end of it. And if somebody went to sleep, they'd reach across the, uh, you know, the chairs and kind of tickle under your nose and you'd wake up. But they had a ball on the other end. If you were talking, you'd come up behind you, whop them you on the head. They weren't sparing the rod. They didn't want to spoil the children. But we also have to use other measures. You know, in, in the Mosaic writings, that you shall do this, you shall not do that. No, we need guidelines and so on. But in Proverbs, it talks about a wise person will do it this way. And a foolish person will do it that way. And we want to encourage people to be wise and make wise decisions and not make foolish decisions. So content and method are both important. Are you prepared to teach God's way, God's way? Are you prepared to teach God's way, God's way? Okay, number four, number five. <clears throat> Are you ready to lead God's way? Are you ready to lead God's way? Revelation 5.10 talks about the saints are going to be kings and priests in the coming kingdom of God. Civil leaders, religious leaders. It's interesting, in Daniel 4.17, it mentions that God is allowing the basis of people to rule today. Daniel 4.17, God is allowing the basis, the lowest people, to rule today. This is man's world. This is man's governments. I read something the other day where somebody was saying, you know, politics is just plain dirty. <laughs> politics is just plain dirty. But that's going to change. That's going to change in the coming kingdom of God. We have been called to come out of this world and learn to lead a different way. In a loving way, a firm way. And you've got examples in the Bible, 1 Kings 12, where Rehoboam, Solomon's son, he was given advice by young people and given advice by the elders. The elders said, be a servant. Focus on serving people. That was the advice from the old men. 
The young men, get tough on them. Let them know who's boss. Let them have it. And it causes rebellion. There's a proverb 29, verse 2. It says, when the righteous rule, people rejoice. When we're doing things God's way, people will rejoice. When the wicked rule, people groan. We need to be preparing to do things God's way. I'd encourage you to read the biblical examples. I think we heard it in the sermonette uh, today about an example that we want to learn from. Read some books on leadership. Read some books on leadership about leaders that did a good job and maybe some that didn't. I read a book some time ago on, I think it was called the, the uh, oh, come on, I should have brought it with me. Uh, <clears throat> the White King or something like that. It was about uh, Alfred the Great, the 900s in Britain. He was a quote-unquote Christian, but he, he, his, the focus was on the people that he was serving, not on himself. Not on himself. You go back and read the guidelines in Deuteronomy 17, where a king was not only to read the book, read the law, but, but don't get into a big, luxurious lifestyle. He said, don't get a whole bunch of uh, horses. Today it's cars. You know, one guy went out of office who was a president of one of the African countries, and his going away president was like 11 cars, three homes. Uh, and when the average income in the country was about, what, $2 a day or a dollar a day? It, it was incredible. But the Bible says don't do those things. Are we ready to rule, to lead God's way? Number six, and I don't want this to sound like a Protestant, but do you know the Lord? Do you know God? Do you know how God would do things, how Jesus Christ would do things? Turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Do we have the mind of God, the mind of Jesus Christ? This is what we have to develop. Otherwise, we're not going to be ready when Christ returns. Matthew 7, latter part of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will, or she who does the will of my Father in heaven. We need to be doing things God's way. We need to want to do things God's way and not want to kind of push around the edges and, well, I want to do this and over that. Maybe nobody will see me. I just want to do that because... It's fun, and that's what things people are doing today. Not everyone. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name? Haven't we been at church every Sabbath? And then I will declare unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. We never got acquainted. We never got acquainted. You never talked to me much. You didn't read the book I gave you to read. <laughs> There's going to be some surprises when Christ returns. Do you know the Lord? Do you walk with him, talk with him? You bring your problems to God. And you look for his guidance in your life. Number seven. To get ready to rule with Christ, we need to make the most of the opportunity we have now to get ready. We need to make the most 
of the opportunity we have now to get ready. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul was talking to people, primarily a Gentile audience here, the people that were called out of the world, had been very much in the world. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, it said, For you were once in darkness, and that's many of us. Now, some of you had the opportunity of growing up in a church, and you haven't had to wade through a whole lot of things and count your blessings that way. And don't feel that you've been denied. Because <laughs> we got people growing up, leave, oh, I just want to experience the world. I've been so limited. And they come limping back, in some cases, 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, a lot of scars. Hopefully you don't have to go through that. You were once in darkness, but now you are in the light, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Find out what's acceptable to God. What's acceptable is in his word. Find out. Then verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, making the most of the time that you have. You know, don't come to service and say, well, I'm watching my watch until, uh, you know, 4 o'clock, and then we're out of here. <laughs> now, if you want to come here, drink in as much as you can. Drink in as much as you can. Ask questions. Soak up what is here. We have a Bible's correspondence course or Bible study course. Do it on your own. Study it. Make some goals that way. Take advantage of the Bible studies, the, the living education classes, the booklets. Now's our time to prepare. Now's our time to get ready. When I was a kid and when you were a kid, you probably played hide-and-seek. Anybody not know what hide-and-seek is? <laughs> if somebody would stand, close their eyes, and they had to count to 50 or 100 or whatever. In the meantime, everybody ran and hid. And then you heard a cry, ready or not, here I come. And the person running around trying to find who was hidden. You know, we're also told in Revelation 19.7, the bride has made herself ready. She got busy and made herself ready before Christ returned. In Matthew 24, the apostles asked Jesus Christ, What's going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Again, they had a motive for asking. They knew that when Christ returned, they were going to get a crown. They were going to reign with Jesus Christ. So they had a motive for that. But he gave them signs, and then he said, watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. We've talked a lot about watching, but I wanted to talk about today, what do we have to do to get ready? What do we have to do to get ready? That depends on you. That depends on me. Because one of these days, we're going to hear a trumpet blast. And we're going to hear a shout. I don't know what it's going to be, but it could be, ready or not, here I come. Brethren, will you be ready? Let's all strive to be ready.